You are listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series podcast, episode eight. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. Today, I brought on one of our own, Dr. Margot Shoup. She's a surgical oncologist and the president of the Orlando Health Cancer Institute, as well as vice president of Orlando Health. She manages a very large hospital system, and she is here to let us know administration does not have to be the enemy. On with the show. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. Uh, I have a really special guest today. I have Dr. Margot Shoup. She is an administrator in a very large healthcare system she's going to tell us more about. Um, and I think that she's going to give us a lot of insights into something that we don't really understand. Uh, I think a lot of us feel like the administration is the enemy and we really just don't understand their role. And so without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Shoup. So tell us a little about yourself. Well, th- first of all, thank you for um, having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to be able to talk to people about how administration is necess- not necessarily the enemy. Um, so I have uh, been in administration now for about 12 years. I'm a surgical oncologist by training. And when I first started uh, having an interest in administration, I took a few leadership courses just to understand what it was like and realized I had a, a knack for it. And also I really liked the finance end of it. And I wanted to understand really what it was is I wanted to understand why decisions were being made that didn't seem to make sense to me. So I wanted to be at the front end of where those decisions were being made so I could help to understand them or potentially change them. I am currently at Orlando Health. I've been here for a little less than a year, having come from Chicago and then Connecticut. And Orlando Health is a large healthcare system, like you said. It's 17 sites of care, soon to be 21, with about 3,500 beds. It's a $5 billion net, net revenue system. So this is not a small healthcare system across Central Florida by any means. And my role is the president of the Cancer Institute for Orlando Health, but also a vice president of this system. So I have a system role as well, which enables me to be able to help at the, have a seat at the table where some of the decisions are being made and to help bring the clinical aspect of why things are important to some of the leadership that may or may not have any kind of clinical background. I mean, this is just staggering to me because I'm in a 250 bed hospital system. Uh, You know, my um, relationship with the administration is I go down the hall and I knock on their door. Uh, So for me, a lot of the the things that I'm sure that you're gonna share with us, um, I see it on a much smaller scale, but you were dealing with such a large scale. What do you want to convey to people who may not understand the roles? What are some of the, the things that you've learned along the way? Yeah, some of them have been hard lessons to learn and uh, having a leadership coach at some point along my career was very valuable to me so I could understand how to wear the administrator hat, not necessarily the surgeon's hat because they're very, very different approaches. But, you know, what I hear frequently from people, from surgeons and other clinicians is that administration isn't listening to me or I've asked, been asking this for months or years and, and no one's helping me. I think take a step back and for the most part, I'd like to say that quote unquote administration isn't about um, making your life difficult. People who are running these healthcare systems, they, they really want everybody to be successful because honestly, if the physicians are successful, the healthcare system is successful. So no one's out to get you and no one's trying to make your life hard. 
but put yourself in our situation where people come up to us all the time with requests and you can't honor everybody's request. It just, it, no one has an unlimited amount of money. Healthcare systems are on, on budgets. The, um, the whole financial milieu of, of healthcare right now is very challenging, especially right now with COVID and the traveler's nurses and expenses are skyrocketing. You have to be very smart about the decisions that we make. And so when, when people come up to me with uh, a request for something, I need to have some data. And if you think about it, put yourself in our shoes. So having someone say, I need another nurse practitioner because I'm so busy, I can't handle this volume anymore. I get it, that's great. Show me the volume, show me the data, give me some national benchmarks. Tell me how that nurse practitioner can help you not only be more efficient, but allow us to get more patients in. So it's about care, right? But it's also about making decisions that make sense financially. And I think what a lot of people give up, they say, I tried, I asked, and I didn't get one I needed. But don't give up because I'm a clinician. I understand the request. I can help guide you through the process and tell you exactly the kind of information that we need. I can help you find the right people. You might not be in a situation where you have somebody like me to work with you on this, but you need to find somebody who can be your ally to help put together a business proposal, something that's going to make sense to somebody who's got lots of different things to choose between. And I only can fund three of them and I have 10 requests. So sometimes the best proposal wins. I don't know how to say it any other way. And I think more importantly is if you're talking to people who have to make these decisions or, or have the final say in how these decisions are made, rather than getting mad that they don't understand what the issue is, look at it as an opportunity to educate and take a step back. And I also, I actually like to say, if you can explain the reason to why this is an issue and why it needs to be solved, and here's the solution that I have, to your spouse or your kids or to your next door neighbor who's not even in medicine and they get it, then probably a CFO or a CEO will understand it. But you have to assume they know nothing about what you do because they probably don't and take it back to the basics and sometimes give a patient story of where the limitation was in the care of the patient because you didn't have the resources that would have made it better. So really think about how it's coming across to somebody who may not have any idea about what you do and why it's important. A mistake a lot of people make, and I'd be interested in your perspective. Um, you feel like I have this idea and I'm gonna build up all of this expectation about it. And I'm gonna take that one meeting and assume it's only gonna be one meeting and it's a yes or no answer. <laughs> Which of course, you know, is terrible for everybody for a lot of reasons. I mean, you hype yourself up. This meeting feels so high stakes because you're like, this is going to be the deciding factor of it all, which is pretty much what you were saying is that, you know, people think that that's the only decision. And then, you know, they leave defeated and then make a lot of thoughts about, you know, the decision where it's, it's so interesting to hear the perspective um, that you had of that. It doesn't have to be like all of these things are just conversations, gathering information, and for one thing, it makes interaction so much easier when you dial the stakes down of saying, and I tell this uh, to folks I coach all the time, go and meet with them. It's just a conversation. Go in there with the goal of getting information and conveying your thoughts. Because if you go in there with the idea of, I'm just going to make sure my thoughts are heard, and I'm going to make sure I'm hearing in return, 
your meeting is going to be a success regardless of what the outcome is because you've achieved your goal. You've gotten information, you've conveyed your information. Now you know where to go rather than forcing a decision at that time. Yeah, that is so valuable what you just said. You know, it, the most important thing is, is if you have something that you feel like is very important, you want to develop a new program, you want to recruit more partners, you want to start, I don't know, some kind of new initiative that you think is going to be really valuable, I, I highly suggest you do exactly what you said, is meet with the individual stakeholders or people that can help you put this together individually, one at a time. Meet with somebody in strategy, meet with somebody in nursing, meet with somebody in a hospitalist, whatever the issue is, somebody with finance. If you don't know who these people are to go to, somebody can help you find them. And so if you need to meet somebody with finance to understand what is it that they're looking for to help you sell your proposal, then if, you're, if, you don't know, if you don't know who the finance person is, reach out to your CFO, you know, and you might say, I can't reach out to my CFO. I have got a $12 billion healthcare system. Who am I? Somebody, your CFO will be able to guide you even if they don't talk to you directly, but they, they may talk to you directly because sometimes they find it very refreshing that a physician actually cares about these things. I've had that experience. They're, wow, this is great. Let's, let's go, I'll sit down with you and go through it. But they can at least tell you who to reach out to, they can help you. And so I look at it as, you know, think about it as a politician. Congress doesn't bring a issue to a vote until they know they have all the votes, right? So you go around and you talk to the people that are gonna be the ones that help make the decision on what's important, find out who they are by talking to all the different stakeholders around the area and meet with them one at a time and say, this is what I'm thinking. Here's the data that I have so far. What am I missing? What more do I need? Sometimes they're looking for SBARs, sometimes some performas, whatever it is that your system needs to tell the story. And then they'll give you some great ideas, take them back, don't be defensive about them. Some of them make no sense to you that you think they need to lay things on the line the way they need to hear it, but really take them back. It's like writing a grant, get everybody's input, put everybody's writing to your paper to make it as strong as it can be. And then bring it back to each of these individuals and say, is this what you're thinking? Is this what you're thinking? Then you get the group together in a room to set the proposal together so they can have so-called a vote uh, to bring it to fruition. I mean, like I said, keep in mind that you might think that your healthcare system has a ton of money because you're in a big system, but I'm willing to bet that their budgets are tight. And even though they have a great, may have a great bottom line or they may not, a lot of places are really suffering right now from a financial standpoint, they still need to understand how is what you're proposing going to impact the financial situation of the system. And you have to have something that's either gonna be a great need for the community that's completely an unmet need, that it just seems like the right thing to do, or a program that is actually gonna be a financial win for everybody. And just keep those things in mind because these the healthcare systems are under a lot of pressure to get bigger and they have mergers and acquisitions, they have to meet their margin, they have capital that they have to invest in so they can continue to grow. And it can get very frustrating from your standpoint to say, you know, stop growing and let's just start putting our money in the systems that we have. But reality is, is that healthcare systems will go away if they don't keep up with the Joneses. And, and no one wants their healthcare system to be bought out by another one or to go to bankruptcy. And that's, that's the financial pressures that they're under. So take a step back and what you're proposing might be the most important thing to you. It's a small proposal in the whole scheme of things. And so it has to be put together tied up into a package with a nice bow when you're ready to present it 
So that it becomes a no brainer that this is the right thing to do. And there's no way you're gonna know what all those pieces are that are necessary. If you don't talk to all the individuals, like you had talked about, you know, go out and meet with people as much as you can. Yes, this is time consuming. There is no question this is time consuming, but it's probably worth it. If, and it's gonna take time. You're not gonna get a yes or no vote right away. It's gonna, this, these are processes. You know, unless there's something that is such an obvious gap in care, then bring examples, bring, bring patient examples to the table about how somebody had an adverse outcome specifically because of a lack of a resource and how this is going to happen again if we don't fix it. That resonates with people, these, these um, case examples. Absolutely. I think that, you know, really being able to articulate, you know, how it does help um, can make a huge difference, just both in us understanding how to convey the information, but also understanding how people hear it. And um, the one mistake that I think a lot of people make, and I'd be interested in your perspective on this, is the role of email. Um, I think a lot of times people like feel like a meeting is going to be too high stakes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in an email. And I encourage people not necessarily to do that because you don't get the feedback. You don't get any, you know, like you don't see how anything lands. You don't really get their perspective. Um, but I think in a big system, that may be initial place to start. What, what is your advice to someone who wants to propose something? What would be the steps they should take? Should it be dropping an email, asking for a meeting, or should it be trying to lay it out in an email first and then requesting a meeting? What, what is the best strategy, do you think? Yeah, that is a really good point. I think just a basic strategy is that if you're saying, if you're going to send off the third email in a row about a discussion that you're having, stop and and make a phone call <laughs> because at some point you need to start having the conversation. And what I tell people that reach out to me with an email with something that's going to require a lot of thought is my next, my email back to them is let's set up an appointment and meet to discuss this because there's sometimes there's just too much and you're not going to capture all the meaning behind it on an email. And also it's hard to sit down and give it a lot of thought over an email where if you have a dedicated time to sit down with somebody to go over some of the issues, then you can, you can give it your undivided attention, right? When you're in an email, you've got phone calls, you've got people coming in, there's another email that's coming through, there's all kinds of things going on. So if it's something that really requires some undivided attention, then set up a meeting. But I don't think it's a bad idea to set the stage. So one of the things I always like to know is before I go into a meeting, what is it this is gonna be all about and what do I need to prepare for it? So I think it's a good idea to send off an email and say, I'm gonna set up, I'd like to set up some time to meet with you to discuss this, 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 and this. And this is why don't make it a book. We, none of us have the patience to read a lot on an email, right? We're surgeons. We want to get to the point. We want to know what the issue is, but at least some high level ideas of why this is important. And then, and then go ahead and set the meeting. I think it's the best way to start. Yeah. And so it sounds like the, the best way to approach email is the, the first email, maybe a request for a meeting. And then another idea is that it's the agenda for the meeting. So you're both a little bit clear about what could potentially be talked about. Um, I think another role for email is after the meeting. Um, I find those most helpful for me to clarify the thoughts and those, you know, I kind of treat it like my notes from the meeting. So I have the agenda beforehand and then I have the notes um, to make sure that, and typically it's, uh, and I think it's very difficult sometimes to manage tone in email, especially if it's like a high stakes thing. And so usually I'll just say, I just want to make sure I understand, or this is what I took away. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, really approaching it from a, um, a, a humility and a curiosity standpoint. So uh, I guess the, the tone of email does not necessarily do that. Do, do you find that that's helpful if someone sends a follow-up email? What's your take on that? Very helpful. Just like document 
documenting in the medical record, documenting these conversations are really, really important because believe it or not, the person you're talking to may not remember you had this conversation because they have a lot of conversations. And I learned my lesson the hard way when I did not document this one time and a CEO came back to me, was mad at me because I, I hadn't followed through with something that I had told him I was going to. And I said, well, I did. You remember we had this meeting and we discussed it and he had no recollection. And I did not send a follow-up email to confirm, here's my understanding of the points that we made at this meeting. Thanks for, you know, thanks for taking the time to meet with me. This is my fault. This is what I take away from this. And here's the follow-up that we need to do for this. I did not do that. So all I had was a snapshot from my calendar saying, remember we met, here's our calendar event saying we met. That wasn't that helpful. It didn't trigger anything for him. So I would look at it as exactly right. Take this with humility and say, I just want to make sure I got this right. Here are my, under this is my understanding for the takeaways from our discussion and the things I need to do best or do next. But again, it's, it's a, it's an art to making sure it's not too wordy because, you know, we all look at when we see an email that's too wordy, it's like, Oh, I'll look at it later. And, and then it just falls by the wayside. I think it's very important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and I was thinking of that as well as like, you know, we all know that that email, even if it's like so much good information, I, I know I've opened those going, like, oh, this is really good. I'll read it later. <laughs> and then you forget about it, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. I think we've all done that. I even have a whole section in my uh, inbox of just a folder called to do, you know, I'll get to that later. And I put it into my to do box. And, and then three weeks later, I go back and say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this. Um, and now someone's mad at me because they said, you know, we talked about this three weeks ago and you haven't gotten back to me. So I think that those are really, documentations are really important. And follow up, don't hesitate to follow up. If, if, if you put your thoughts on paper and you wanna follow up with another discussion um, and you don't hear anything back and you're hoping you would, take the initiative to reach out to somebody, hey, hey I just want to follow up on our discussion and make sure we're on track for the right thing. Is there anything else I need to be doing? Walk by, knock on their door, whatever it takes just to be in front of people to make sure that they realize that this isn't one of those loud issues that's going to come up and then it's just going to go away. And the other thing is, I have to tell you, as much as we want to help people from an administrative standpoint, I can't do your job for you. I have a job to do. I can't do your job. And so if something is you're really passionate about and you really want to grow a program or there's something you want to do, I need you to do it. You know, so I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I was, I asked for this months ago and nothing ever happened. I said, well, what did you do to make, move this forward? What kind of proposals did you put together? This has got to be on you. I can't do everybody's job in the system. And uh, I just keep, keep that in mind. No one's going to do it for you. I, I thought once you realize that, then it's on you to roll up your sleeves and you get this done. I think that's a great point um, because when you look at this, both in the proposal and the um, implementation of something, it is a lot of work. And so for folks to understand that, that things do take a lot of work, you can have the best idea in the entire world, but if you can't convey it and you don't have the information and you aren't willing to you know, put one foot in front of the other, like the best proposal in the world cannot, cannot fly. Right. And usually the person you're talking to about it doesn't have the final say either. A lot of these things go in front of a, a group for a vote or for discussion to get approval, to get the CFO to sign off on it or whatever. It has, usually has to go one more level to um, have something final approved. Not always, but often it does. And so that takes time, right? Because there's a lot of different things that people are looking at to be approved. And so all that takes time. But I just say, just be persistent. Um, and I think that that's the most important thing and also just be very, like we said, be very humble. Don't go in there pretending that you know it all because you probably don't know it all. I would be surprised if you do. I don't know it all. I've been doing this for years 
you can always learn something or, and get somebody else's perspective. And don't get mad if their perspective doesn't make any sense to you. Just be quiet and listen to it and take it in and, and take it to heart and really think about the, the information that you're getting from the other people in the room, because that's what they're hearing. And those are the questions they're having. And again, like I say, it's administration isn't here to make your life hard. They're, they're really, they're not. They're here to make it better. They're here to make you happy. They're here to help build a program. The, the issue is, is that we need your help to understand why what you need is so important. Yeah, I think that's you know really fantastic advice is uh, you know just reminding everyone that you know we, we are all on the same team. We want to succeed, um, and we need everyone to to do so. Um, on the um, bosssurgery.com, there is a um, a little PDF called "How Surgeons Rise." Now, this is based on the book by Goldsmith and um, Helgeson on how women rise, and it's the twelve habits that hold women back at work. But I think that a lot of these things apply. And many of these, just a couple of them that I'm throwing out uh, is, you know, not building allies. And so, you know, if you are building allies at work, these are people that are on your side. And so to the person who says, gosh, it's a lot of work to talk to all these people. I think if, you know, you have your ultimate goal in mind or whatever your project is, but one aspect of this is that in these conversations, you're building allies over time. You're building someone who can say, oh, I remember how they could help me with this, or I remember how they shared this. Um, and also saying that this is how I can help you too. And that the more that we understand both of our roles, then um, allies help elevate us more than us trying to do it ourselves. Um, yeah, look at it as uh, you need local cheerleaders. <laughs> so when I have some big initiative that I need to put through, I know people that have been at this organization longer than I have that are well-respected. I need that person to be my cheerleader, to go out and say how great this idea is. And so you need to find your people that, that completely agree with what you're saying or have given you a lot of suggestions that they feel like they've helped make your Kool-Aid so they're gonna help you drink the Kool-Aid better. And then they go out and they can and they can tout your ideas as well. You're exactly right. Local cheerleaders, people that are gonna be supportive of you that can then help you reach out to people that you might not even know need to be reached out to. There's a, another thought that uh, that I thought their point was so helpful in the book was, um, they actually referenced someone else's work, but it's the four powers um, in an organization. And that is the power of expertise. And so as physicians, you know, we think we're, we're the experts, we should be making the decisions. Of course, we forget about the other three seg the segments of power, which is the power of connections. That's the power of building these allies. The power of personal authority and charisma is like the ability to get these allies on our side. And then there's the power of position. You know, if we are not the ones in the position, either we find a way to make ourselves into this position or we get those people in the position and are on our side. You know, it's interesting because like one of the best pieces of advice I received earlier on in my career is trying to insert yourself into the conversations where these important decisions are being made. But the way to not insert yourself into the conversation is to say, I need to be at the table because I know what I'm doing. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to listen, I think I can be part of the solution because I've had a lot of experience in this doing X, 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 Y, Z or whatever. Um, and I, if you're looking for a, a subject expert in this discussion, I'd be happy to be a part of it. So make it so, you know, you're, you're making yourself so valuable to the discussion rather than demanding that you're there, but make them realize, hey, wait, we really could probably use somebody with your perspective in this discussion. Yeah, oh, I think that's such a great perspective too. Is uh, it's kind of like it's offering yourself um, as uh, something rather than demanding. Um, a lot of it is that 
everyone responds to, I mean, we think that we're being like, well, I, you know, I'm just telling them how like it is. And of course, you know, a lot of times that in our training, that's, that's what we're saying, you know, be commanding, be the leader, but, you know, telling people what to do doesn't always work. And it doesn't work. And that's why I say having executive coaching, if you're going to take a role in executive level is very, very helpful because the way we are growing up as surgeons and the OR is we're the captain of the ship. And what we say goes pretty much is because we ask for it, we get it. That doesn't happen in the rest of the world. And it certainly doesn't happen in the world of administration and medicine. So you have to really put on a completely different hat and look at things from a completely different perspective. And that's, it's challenging to learn how to do, but it will get you really far if you can understand how to approach people in a way that they will listen and that they can understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just really understanding all the nuances of leadership. Um, And in a lot of ways, what worked for us in training of, you know, being uh, the authority and really um, being the the captain of the ship in training um, really changes, I think, the very first job that people have. And that's usually where a lot of people kind of come to me uh, and their first job going, well, I was really supported in all this and and this worked for me as a resident, but now I'm in my first job. And now like the, the nurses are working against me and then the OR staff is working against me and the administration is the enemy. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because they're trying to do all the things that we were trained to do um, but not recognizing that the world looks a little bit different outside of training. Exactly. Uh, you, you can't, when somebody gave me a piece of advice one time, you can't run your program like it was a surgery residency from the nineties. <laughs> not the same anymore. So yeah, you have to look at the perspective. People are here to work with you. People want to help you. They want the program to be successful. And so just take a different perspective and look at it that way. People aren't the enemy. It's not me. It's not us against them. It's how can we all work together and collaborate? And you, sometimes you have to swallow your pride and, and just listen to what other people have to say. Um, there's a good book that just came out that called, that's uh, said, who, not how. So instead of necessarily figure out how to do something, you figure out who can help you. Um, and really realizing that we make life a lot harder than it has to be um, because we don't really enlist a lot of other people's help. Yeah, and just, you know, one other thought is that within your organization, we all know of that person that seems to get everything they want, right? So find that person and say, what is your secret? How is it that you've been able to get these programs off the ground and get the support that you need? I, I have some programs I'm trying to work on too. Reach out, get your advice, you know, play the student and have them be the tutorial. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because we all know that person. Like if I'm envious of this person that gets all the uh, information, I could sit there in resentment and, and wonder why I don't, or I could just say, you tell me how you're doing this. That's, uh, People love to talk about themselves. So you'll get a response. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? No, tell me a little bit about, so I know that you mentioned that your um, uh, experience is that you kind of learn early on that you like the finance and you like the business aspect of it. Um, let's say I'm someone who's in the job and I was like, yeah, that's me. I like that too. What would be the advice you give someone who is now trying to explore? I want to explore maybe going a little bit in administration. I want to have a little bit more control. And this is, I'm starting to see I have an aptitude for this. What would you advise them and how they can navigate their career? I would start by taking some leadership courses to see if it's something that you truly do enjoy. American College of Surgeons offers leadership courses. I think the one that was the defining moment, moment in my career is I took a leadership development course through the Harvard School of Public Health. And it was a two week course. I don't think they do it right now because of the the, um, pandemic, but it was a two week course where you literally moved to Boston for two weeks and lived there and worked with other people. And it was designed for physicians who were in academic medicine at that time, although I'm not in academic medicine anymore. 
Uh, and, and it was really engulfing yourself in everything there is to know about medicine that is not patient care. And they roll your eyes like, this is not for me, or you embrace it. And I thought it was incredibly interesting anywhere from management to conflict negotiations, to budgets, to overhead, to how financial statements are. I mean, you didn't go into depth in anything in two weeks, but you get a basic overview of it. Some kind of course like that to see if it's something that you really are interested in. Because I feel like as physicians, most are not interested in this. And so those of us that are, I feel like I almost owe it to my colleagues to say, okay, well, I like this. So I owe it to everybody else to understand this so I can be your voice to people um, if it's not something that you want to do. And um, that's interesting. That actually kind of leads to something I think that's going to be really important too, is that uh, this change of identity. And so if you're the surgeon and all you do is surgery, and now you're changing your identity a bit to uh, the administrative role, I mean, I think that's a really fantastic um, thought that you just offered, which is um, I can actually be of service to my fellow surgeons that maybe my role as an administrator is actually more important than my role um, as a surgeon, which may be an individual aspect. Now, you know, I'm taking a little bit more of a global approach. Um, how did you, because I imagine how clinical are you uh, these days and, and how did that evolve and how was that transition? I, I slowly evolved from going to 100% clinical to 50% to 20%. And I'm at, right now I'm even a little bit less than that, but I think it's important never to get completely out of the clinical realm because then you really lose touch with what's important. I wanna experience what the physicians are experiencing. Um, so that's really important. I've uh, worked with someone who just accepted the chief medical officer role. And I've worked with another person who just accepted the chief of staff role. And so they're trying to navigate their feelings of going from, you know, hundred percent clinical. What were some of the struggles that you had as you changed clinical aspect? I think one of the most important things to realize is that when you take a leadership role of any kind, but certainly one like this, that it's no longer about you. It's about everybody else. And one of the most important things I think I, I learned over the, over the last decade or so is that my, this isn't about my success. What I value more than anything else is to have other people be able to, to rise to what they want to accomplish. And my job is to help you get what you need to accomplish your job. And that takes a little bit of time because it, it's, not about, it's not about me at all. And you have to understand that when you take these roles. It, everything you do from now on, out. If, if something is successful and a, and a win, somebody else gets the credit. You have to give somebody else a credit. If it's not working, you need to take the responsibility that it's not working and, and help figure it out. And so it's a different way of looking at things, but I really think it's incredibly important from our standpoint in, this, in these leadership, less clinical roles, is that people understand that we're here to help them get what they need. But again, I can't do your work for you. Yeah. And that is such a critical um, perspective because the, a lot of times, again, it's our training too, um, where we are led to be like, to get the credit of all these things. And we want the credit. You look better when everybody around you looks better. Um, and, you know, and it makes it easier as well, but that's an uh, important transition that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is that our success is built on other people's success. Right. And if you, if your goal is to be the shining star, then don't take this role, continue to have a busy clinical practice and be the superstar surgeon, that, then that's, that's fine. But if your, role, if your goal is to actually help people and develop a successful program, then I think that this is the right way to go. And it's also, you have to take a step back and say, what's your ultimate, people say, what's your ultimate career goal? And mine used to be, I wanted to be a chair of an academic department of surgery. Obviously that's not where I'm headed. Is my ultimate career goal to be a CEO of a major healthcare system? Maybe, but 
what I want to be able to actually say is if these opportunities come up, I'm ready for them because I've been able to uh, help other people get what they need so that it puts me in a position where I can help more people. But the goal shouldn't be about you. And, and people will recognize the value you bring to an organization when the value that you bring is about helping other people. Yeah, and I think it's such a great um, perspective. A lot of times we'll have an idea of what success looks like for us. Um, and I work with a lot of folks who had this idea of what success looked like, them, like a chairman of a department or you know, program director or some position. And then over time, they realized that their interests were pulling them in some other way. And it's the, what they're fighting is the resistance of giving up something they thought that they wanted and that represented success to them and sort of ignored the fact that they didn't have the joy in that perspective anymore. Their aptitude was bringing them somewhere else. Um, and, and I loved your point about you were guided by your interest and your aptitude and the opportunities to be in the position that you were at and you know, kind of releasing the idea that you have to be one particular position or it's a failure. And I think that's a, a really unique perspective because I mean, look where you have come by following your interest and your goals and your aptitudes. And you know, I imagine the avoiding the resistance. I mean, I just reevaluate every once in a while about the goals that you set and, and why, and is that still who you are? And is that still what, what makes you happy? What made me take the change from a academic career to a non-academic career wasn't just so much a deliberate decision, as it was to the fact that my one of the grants that I had put in and, and really poured my heart and soul into didn't even get scored. And my dean had said to me, keep at it, you'll get it. And I said, you know, I really did not enjoy that. That's not where I found my passion. And so I started thinking about what it made, really made me happy and what I enjoyed the most in life and, and, and what I felt like I was the best at. And at some point in your career, you have to start narrowing it down and, and focusing on the best things that you can you can bring to healthcare. And to me, it was administration and clinical role. It wasn't the research and honestly, it wasn't the teaching, it was the other part. So that's where I started taking this right turn, um, the, the fork in the road. And it's it's a little scary because people think that you're um, jumping ship or you're going to the other side, you're going to the dark side. You know, don't worry what people think because it, it doesn't really matter. It's what makes you happy. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I totally forgot about that. You know, I have, I have heard, you know, the perspective like administration is joining the dark side. And, you know, did you experience that um, sentiment in your, um, in your travels along your career path? No question. No question. <laughs> and, and not only that, but also leaving, leaving the so-called academic role and into a community practice role. I'm in a hybrid model now, but yes, no question about that. And, but for the most part, uh, people were, more excited that there was actually going to be someone like them that had a voice to help them get, you know, get what they needed to do to make things successful. But there's, yeah, there's, you just have to brush off the naysayers and, oh, you're going to community practice or you're going to the academic side, the, the administrative side. Um, you know what? Who cares? <laughs> it was a little hard to stomach. I was very nervous when I first made these decisions that I was going to be looked upon differently by my peers. But honestly, the people that mattered the most to me didn't really look at me any differently. Yeah. And oh, like what great advice that is, is like, you know, recognizing you have an inner circle that has your best interest in heart. And those are the people to listen to, not the naysayers who don't understand and who don't understand your strengths and aptitudes and where your interests are. Understanding again, like the administration is just out for all of our success, being able to convey that message. I mean, who wouldn't support that? Um, I know that you got an MBA for someone who's contemplating an MBA. Is it worth it? And do you think that that's a necessary step? For me, it was absolutely worth it. And I do think it's necessary. And I was given some advice about 10 years ago to not pursue an MBA because it probably wouldn't be necessary. 
And uh, I that, that was probably the worst advice I was given in my entire career. But I have to tell you, the reason why I felt was very helpful for, for a lot of different reasons, but one is I really understand the language better. You can, you can learn it on the job, a lot of that, but to really get into an MBA where you immerse yourself in some of these discussions, finance discussions, accounting, even some of the, the courses that you take with behavioral courses and things like that, it's very, very helpful, the tools that you can be given to help, uh, help you solve some problems that come your way. Also, I mean, the fact that I had an MBA, uh, people looked at me a little bit differently because they realized that I, I have that, I've taken the time to understand the business aspect of it. But really what it comes down to is being able to have more intelligent conversations about some of the decisions that are being made. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I think that um, I'm really grateful that you came on to the episode because you have so many pearls of wisdom that are to be helpful because I know that, you know, it's going to help the person who's on the other, feels like they're on the other side and the administration's the enemy, but also uh, such critical advice for someone who has already identified that this may be the path for them. And I think that your advice um, is valuable. And I think you're going to really influence a lot of people um, with this podcast. So I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. And I think the takeaway message, as you said it best, is that administration should be your ally. Look at them as your partner and to help you solve the, solve the issues, not a us versus them mentality. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show and share it with fellow surgeons. Let's show each other what is possible. You can find more information at bosssurgery.com and the Boss Business of Surgery Series Facebook group. Until next time.